James Ernest of the Grueling Truth Radio Network here with author Joey Myers. Uh, Joey, tell us about your new book because it is a long title and I don't want to butcher it. <laughs> so it's the Catapult Loading System, How to Teach 100-Pound Hitters to Consistently Drive the Ball 300 Feet. And I just I published it the beginning of this year in January. I'm working on the second edition right now. I, had, I looked at a lot of the feedback from Amazon reviews, and I also polled or surveyed my readers to see if there was anything missing, if there were anything that they, they didn't want to see taken out, and if there was anything maybe new that they wanted to see in the book. So I'm working on that now. Um, a few of the things that I've added, I'm, I'm probably about 60% done with it. I'm going to redo the cover because there's a lot of people thinking that a lot of the book is about a high leg kick, which is not. I don't even mention leg kick or stride or anything in this book. This is all from the pelvis to the shoulders, basically everything in between that we, we talk about. But the cover photo it shows kind of a shadowy image of, of a, like a Donaldson type of loading position. It was it's a perfect picture, paints a perfect picture or demonstrates a perfect picture of what we teach in the book. But a lot of people look at that late kick and they miss everything else. So we are going to do, a, in the second edition, we're going to do a different section of the body uh, image, probably different different hitter to model, and uh, with, the, with using, embodying the same principles. And then we're going to add at the end of each each chapter, principal chapters, the six, chapter six through 11, we're going to add some drill section, like drill video, along with some drill tips and things like that. I didn't put that in the book. I had, I had put how to do each position and what not to do, like how, how far not to take it mm-hmm. and in the book. So there's, there's instruction on how to get in the specific positions, but to drill them, I had put that in the, in the bonus chapter 12, which is all about the science of learning, kind of like a, a tidbit for the the other book that I have, the Science of Sticky Coaching. So, um, so a lot of other stuff. I got a couple guest <clears throat> guest chapters that Homer Bush contributed, the uh, Batsman T guys, and uh, Matt Noakes just just got done with double knee surgery, so I'm kind of waiting until he's ready to go. He's going to contribute a chapter. So, uh, and some other things, but um, that's the gist of the book. Nice. It sounds great. Uh, definitely uh, looking forward to that read. Um, What's the Hitting Performance Lab? Tell us a little bit about that. So the Hitting Performance Lab is applying human movement principles that are validated by science, real science, not bro science, with a lot of what's going on out there, pseudoscience, and we apply that to hitting a ball. That's kind of the gist of what we of what we talk about at the Hitting Performance Lab, and our kind of our motto is swinging smarter by moving better. We do that. We prove through different sources, very credible sources, two, two or three of them that I mention quite often that for coaches to go out and read. And one is the book called Anatomy Trains by Thomas Myers, which we don't know no immediate relation. I'm sure at some point on the family tree we're related. Um, last name spelled the same. And the other book would be Dr. Serge Krakowiecki, who is a physicist and electrical engineer. He wrote The Spinal Engine. That's another big one. And then the third one, I would say, is Dr. Eric Dalton, Dynamic Movement. <clears throat> Those three books kind of paved the way for Hitting Performance Lab and took an out-of-the-box approach to designing the swing, almost kind of reverse engineering it. Instead of listening or taking from experience, and, you know, I have a decent experience. I don't have any professional experience, but I played Division One baseball at Fresno State for four years. 
but take it from experience, taking from the coaches that coached me, and I've, I have had some pretty good coaches coach me, one being Coach Bennett, Bob Bennett, who was elected into the NCAA Division One Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame, I think back in 2012 or 2010, something like that. Um, so I've had some great coaches. I've read some great books, like a lot of probably listeners out there, The Science of Hitting by Ted Williams, and I've read Charlie Lau and Mike Schmidt and Tony Gwynn. I've read them all. And instead of basing my duct tape philosophy theory, bro science style, uh, I wanted to tent or uh, anchor down what I teach based off of a higher principle, which is based everything off of validated real science. And that is that seems to be the big the big difference. A lot of people ask, well, what, how are you different than so and so or, or so and so system or whatever? And a lot of it is just that we're we're basing our human movements, our swing movements on real science, and not just oh I tried this and it worked, or I, I heard this from from Ted Williams or whatever and this worked. Um, it's more we, we got to set our swing standards to a higher level, or human movement standards to a higher level. Uh, along with data and technology, we can use like a an app like a Zep or Swing Tracker or Blast Motion. It tracks is a little expensive, but for those out there, those academies that can afford it, 15, 25, 35 grand from what I hear, the, the Zep and, and those other ones are a little bit more affordable. <clears throat> we can take those, what we call expensive calculators, and we can do a swing one way, do a swing another way, 100 times, 100 times, so 200 swings total, and we can compare and see which one is more effective and which one is less effective, or which one is more optimal, which one is less optimal. So we can take things like Squish the Bug, and we can test them now. It's not just, well, I was taught this, so this and this worked for me, and whatnot, and where most of the time, if you saw their swing, when they were op- you know, 100% in swing intensity, they were not squishing the bug. So we can take some of those old myths of hitting that have been taught for the last four decades, and we can put them to the test and see if they're optimal or suboptimal. Wow, that that's awesome, you know. And so, instead of having antidotical evidence, I mean, these are real facts that you know you've tested in a lab. That's that's amazing. Right. What is uh, the difference between hitting philosophy and hitting principles? So, hitting principles. Principles are things, rules. I call them rules. So, I, I use a metaphor for that. So, I say that you can go to a bowling alley and put the the bumpers in the gutters of the of the lane of the lane gutters so we do that you know obviously with the kids when they get there so they're not rolling gutter balls all the time so we actually make the make bowling fun for them so we have those bumpers in the lane in the gutters so that the ball doesn't get into the gutter well the rules or the principles are the bumpers in the gutters so i i'm not concerned with the path the ball rolls down the lane the bowling ball towards the pins. I'm not concerned with that path. I'm concerned that it stays between the bumpers. So those are the principles. Philosophies and theories are, are good, and there, there are some that are like the spinal engine theory that I base a lot of my, my swing on. But a lot of that theory, if you read, and that's in Dr. Serge Krakowiecki's book, The Spinal Engine, if you read through that book, it's very, very dense and jargon-esque, I guess if you can call it that, in like anatomy and, and like physics and things like that. A lot of it is tested. And I probably don't understand 80% of that book, but the 20% I do is, was, has been very, very powerful for my hitters. And you know, a lot of people out there will, it's getting better.
better over the last five years. That's about when I started teaching this stuff. <clears throat> it's getting better now, but a lot of these coaches just don't, they're like, no way a 100-pound hitter or even a 60-pound hitter can hit the ball 180 feet, uh, basically tripling like a base. We're talking about a baseball, baseball player, um, tripling their body weight and batted ball distance. They say, no way, that's not possible. You need, you know, all the old myths come out. We need a lot of body weight and you need all this stuff. And uh, really, it's not. It's how the body is aligned at impact and is what is contributing to these hitters that I have that are, are doing what they're doing. And a lot of people will say also that, oh, they're just freaks or above average athletically. Well, yeah, probably in some cases they're above average athletically. But I say it takes time. Some hitters get it. The ones that are above average athletically will get it maybe within six to eight months maybe put something together where they're consistently doing that. Some take two and a half years. Those are the ones that I would consider average or possibly even below average. It just takes longer for them to, to get around to this. But if they're, they're getting into the same positions that we're trying to get them to get into, there's no reason why they couldn't do that. And I routinely have unsolicited comments on Facebook and emails of coaches instituting these principles and their their hitters they're, they're tripling their body weight bat ball distance but the softball girls since the ball is so big and heavy which i think is kind of reverse i think that, i don't know why the the girls have to hit the big heavy ball and the boys got to hit this the little teeny lighter that always ball. seemed weird to me too <laughs> so they got to overcome a little bit more inertia but for the females it's it's pretty pretty consistent, pretty normal to see at least a doubling of their body weight and batted ball distance. So if a girl's weighing 100 pounds, you know, we're seeing 200 plus feet of batted ball distance with the softball. You're just not going to reach ball exit speeds with the softball as you would with the baseball. Not even a, the, if you took a guy, you took a college or pro hitter, hit a baseball, uh, the same hit, uh, you ball exit speed test them for 5, 10 swings, and then you put a softball up there, same hitter, the, the ball exit speeds are going to be a lot lower, you know. That's just that's just the the nature of the beast with, when it comes to physics and things like that. Um, so yeah, so that's that's um, that's that. So you mentioned on the front cover about uh, uh, loading uh, body loading. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So how the body compress the body is made up of compression and tension forces <clears throat> and. A lot of people will describe it out there. A lot of coaches will describe it as rubber bands, rubber band tension. And that's, that's about the half truth, and it's, and it's not wrong. But it's more of a compression tension. So comp- uh, an example of a compression force would be like granite. Granite is one of the, the strongest stones for setting things on top of it and then not breaking, setting heavy things on top of it and then not breaking. Tension forces would be like if you took that same chunk of granite you got like a tabletop full of, or of granite, made of granite. And you take two horses, one you attach to one end of the granite, you take another horse and attach to the other end of the granite, and you have those horses go in opposite directions, walk or run or whatever. That granite isn't very strong, doesn't have very good tensional strength. So that granite can get pulled apart, but it's one of the strongest stones for weight on top of each other. So another example would be like, stacking bricks on top of each other that's a compression force a boom crane where you have the wrecking ball at the bottom and you got the the cable that's tension so where that tension is between the boom the actual wrecking ball and the structure of the crane itself that's a tension force so we have both of those acting within our body at all times 
And most of it is made up of what, what's called fascia. It's kind of a goofy term that like F-A-S-H-A, uh, spelled F-A-S-C-I-A. So fascia, it's, it's a, a cotton candy or spider webby-like material that your bones and muscles float in, and it gives muscles their shape. It's made up of mostly collagen fibers, although there are elastin fibers, which are a little bit more, uh, a little bit more flaccid, a little bit more uh, bendy. But the collagen is what the stars put in their face, uh, especially if those that watch the Kardashians. Mm. Uh, mother, Mama Kardashian, she's got quite a bit in her face, and so when you see her smiling, laughing, crying, you, you can't really tell which one she's doing until you see the tear roll down the cheek or whatnot. And so that collagen is very, very stiff, and it resists change in shape. Fascia is to the human body, or collagen is to the human body, like steel is to the building industry. So steel does bend, but it resists that bend, and that's why it's, it's widely used in building, building buildings. So fascia is the same thing. If you were to take out all the systems, all the muscles, the, the, the neural network, the, um, the circulatory network, you take everything out but leave the fascia of the body, and you can make out your friend's face. You can make out your friend's gait if they were walking. You could, it, it, it's everywhere. It's wrapped. And your muscles, everything are wrapped in these sheets of, of fascia and intertwined, and it's all interconnected and, and the whole thing. So you have this stuff in the body that most most hitting coaches out there think it's the body's just made up of muscles and bones, and and that's not true. If you took the fascial system out, left everything else, your muscles and bones would just fall to a heap on the floor. So you need that tenderness material. You need that 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 spider webby, cotton candy like material to hold everything up in shape. So how we load the body or compress and use those compression tension forces in the body is you have to take, especially talking about getting your pitching where you're kind of sideways, you start from a sideways position and you move into more sternum facing impact or sternum facing your target if you're throwing. And you have to take the front shoulder, so we're talking about hitting, say, a righty, you have to take the front shoulder down and in towards the back hip. So we create... Uh, what I call in the chest, if you were to draw an X from, from opposite shoulder to hip on both sides and then even on the back, you would see a shortening of one leg of the X and a lengthening of the other leg of the X. So hitters have to start in what we call a downhill shoulder position at landing. So once they get to landing, they have to have a slight downward shoulder angle. And it varies. I usually uh, like a range between 6 and 12 degrees down. Miguel Cabrera is about 8 degrees down. Josh Donaldson's about 12 degrees down. Any more than that, you're going to get a hitter that's going to have a hole up in the zone, and they'll be able to hit pitches down. So you want to be careful not to go down downhill too much. Plus, it'll obstruct the head, the head positioning and vision and things like that. Uh, but you also don't want to go the other way. I, I talk about the Goldilocks golden rule. Uh, you know, she didn't want the porridge that was too hot or the one that was too cold. She wanted the one that was just right. So you also don't want to have any shoulder down downhill shoulder or an uphill shoulder at landing for a hitter. Pitchers before they throw, as they come up, they, they get their into their leg swing and they get ready to throw. You'll see like the Clayton Kershaws and the Bumgarners and the Verlanders. You'll see them angle their shoulders up before they get into throwing, getting into their window, their release point, and things like that, where the shoulders will actually flip. So for hitters, we do the opposite. We start down because we want the barrel coming up to the ball that's coming down. So pitchers start up to throw the ball down, hitters start down to hit the ball up. So 
we're not we're not about trying to uppercut the ball. We're about trying to match the plane of the pitch. So that plane of the pitch is slightly down in the big leagues. You're talking about five to seven degrees down for a 90 plus mile an hour fastball, and you have about a 15 to 20 degree down on a curveball. So we're trying to match that imaginary line from the pitcher's release point into the catcher's glove. A lot of a lot of people out there will say, "Well, you're just hitting a." You know, it's kind of teach hitters to pop flies, and that's not that's not what we're trying to do. Just like you're not trying to teach hitters to hit weak ground balls, we're not trying to teach hitters to hit weak fly balls. We want it hard and on a line, and that line can vary depending on uh, whether it's 12 degrees on a line or whether it's 35 degrees on a line. We're trying to maximize ball exit speed because that's how you fight gravitational forces. So basically, that's how you load the body. Is, is you, if you can picture that X pattern on the chest, and it's the same on the back, it just reverses. So for a right-handed hitter, the front shoulder comes in towards the back hip, the left shoulder to the right hip. And on the back, that same line, if you trace the same line, it's going to lengthen. It's going to be longer on the back. And then it reverses on the other side. So the, the, the right-handed hitter's left hip to right shoulder at landing should be longer, while the right left shoulder and the right hip should be shorter. So it's this constant, like shortening one leg of the X to lengthen the other one. How do you take that and make it easy enough for a four-year-old to understand? <laughs> Glad you asked that, James. We, we teach, I have drilled it down to basically three big things. And actually, it's probably four or five now. The, the more I get into the research, the more important the other ones are. But I talk about getting that X manipulation, that X pattern of the, the springy fascia. We talk about showing the hitter's numbers to the pitcher at landing. And again, you can show them too much, and we use what's called a back eye test. So at landing, we have them close their front eye while craning their head over their shoulder and showing their numbers. So if, if they have their left eye closed, so we're talking about a righty here, it would be reverse or a lefty. If we have the left eye closed and they can't see the pitcher or ball coming in with their right eye, their back eye, then they're closing off too much. So we want to make sure that we're closing off as much as we can without losing vision, and we're getting it all the way to landing. So showing numbers is number one, and that seems to be the biggest gain we found between a three to six mile per hour on average bat speed increase versus not showing. Uh, we and so that can translate into anywhere from twenty to forty five extra feet of bat ball distance, and that's huge for a lot of people, a lot of hitters, especially small ones. The other principle, so showing numbers is number one. The other principle is downhill shoulders we talked about. So again, between that six to twelve degree downs, we talk about downhill shoulders. Uh, we teach it by lifting the back elbow up, which is funny because a lot of a lot of parents out there that well-meaning parents, but you know, not not really a lot of maybe playing experience, or whatever. They always say, "Get your back elbow up, get your back elbow up." Well, we're not talking about in the stance itself, but actually before they get the landing, we should see that back elbow above the top hand thumb. Uh, unless their hands are already high, then I'm I'm assuming the hand, the top hand, ends up at landing at around the armpit. So we want to have the elbow slightly above that top hand or that top hand thumb, and that should give us a nice, slight downhill shoulder. The third principle is hiding the hand from the pitcher. So a lot of a lot of people, a lot of coaches out there will call this the scap row, the scapular row. Well, the scapular row is a, is a technical term. A four-year-old is not going to understand, and a lot of coaches, surprising to other coaches that, that do know, that do, do know the difference, um, they think that most people understand what a scapular row is, and they don't. So we translate it into hiding the hands from the pitcher. And the scap row alone isn't going to do it. 
if we're not showing the numbers. So uh, those three are kind of the big ones. We do some finger pressure, which is which is actually a big one too. We talk about a hunched posture, which is basically we're taking the, the pelvis if it was a bowl of water, and uh, we're tucking the tailbone under uh, or tucking the uh, yeah tailbone under under our legs, kind of like a dog would when they're scared, and we're we're um, posteriorly posteriorly rotating the pelvis or. If our hips or pelvis is a bowl of water, we're spilling water on our heels, or at least that's our goal. But what should be is that we're uh, our belt line is level. So that's uh, another for those some of those technical people out there that's bottoming out the pelvic floor and uh, puts puts the hips or the pelvis in a much more stable position to be able to apply force. Um, we talk about the head. Uh, one of the other principles we talk about the head positioning at impact. We don't want the chin going into the chest. We don't want the eyes going to the uh, into the sky. And we don't want the rear ear for righty, the rear, the right ear going into or closing into the right shoulder. That uh, what we say it's a uh, the one one joint rule is what we're breaking there. So uh, it's it's really body alignment, and we're trying to get the body in an optimized position to be able to put maximum force into the ball at impact who uh helped you with this process who you know supported you that kind of thing <laughs> my wife and my kids so i i started off teaching fitness and corrective fitness probably about 14 15 years ago and i really liked so we were just teaching clients how to lose weight and, and athletes how to gain muscle and get stronger and things like that well i really gravitated towards the correctional side of of human movement and i got yoga certified back then and i've just from there been in, into getting a lot of certification from the functional muscle screen and and nasm their corrective exercise specialist and and i do a lot of reading in that part of the human movement side of things and so it was the thomas myers anatomy trains the dr serge Krakowski's the spinal engine book and, and dr dalton's the dynamic body books that, that really inspired inspired me to reverse engineer because I was originally looking to fix a tight right knee that I think is just left over from swinging right hand to throwing right hand for 17 years and I was just looking for just different fixes to fix it because it was chronic and it was just tight and it was just bothering me and stretches just weren't helping so I was looking at other alternatives so that turned me on to those those three gentlemen that I mentioned and uh, it started just to my brain started to explode because of like, wow, my hitters can use this stuff. This is how the body actually moves and nobody's talking about it. So from there, it just kind of blossomed and started doing blog posts and doing swing experiments and, and posting them and, and got a lot of flack for the first couple of years. A lot of people were really angry and upset because and, it was just blowing up the paradigm. And uh, like I said, now within the last three years or so, it's gotten better. We still have some people out there that, that have just have given up or, or, are just not going to come around probably for a little bit, um, but we're seeing it. We're seeing a, a change in the big leagues. We're seeing Aaron Judge recently last year had a huge season, uh, minus the third quarter part of the season, but had a, had a big season. And if you look at his swing at Fresno State, which is where I where I played, I, I didn't play with him. I played in 2003. He was I think 2010 or 12 or something like that. But if you look at his swing at Fresno State versus last year, totally different. Totally different. And he's doing everything. His swing embodies pretty much everything that we do, that we teach in the book, the catapult loading system. Showing numbers, hiding hands, downward shoulder angle. And what's interesting on the softball side is that Sierra Romero, which they, they know, she, I, I did a video on YouTube that was comparing Judge 
judge's landing position to see Romero's, and it's exactly the same. Oh, wow. So there's a lot, you know, there's similarities between the two. That's great, uh, between the two mm-hmm. sports. Oh, cool. Um, so you mentioned the next book is kind of a follow-up to this book? Yes. So it's, it's just a filling in the holes, I'd say. Just looking at all the feedback from the Amazon reviews and the survey that I sent out to my readers, those that read the book, uh, those ha- that read the whole book, read some of the book, or ha- hadn't read the book, but just were ha- have been reading my stuff whether it's a blog post or whatnot. So it's just taking and answering those questions, filling in those holes, and I, I just think that the, the second edition is going to be uh, pretty bulletproof. There's really not going to be any re- any really unanswered questions with it. I think it's going to be a book that's going to last over time. It's you know, these human movement principles. I, I like to tell my hitters it's not me. It's not about me. It's about the human movement principles and making sure they're, they're, they follow the science and they're validated by science. This stuff works. It works, whereas when I was a junior high in high school, I was on a quest to find the truth about hitting. And I was reading all those books I mentioned in the beginning of our interview, the Ted Williamses, the Laos, although Ted Williams, I think, was a little closer to the truth than, than a lot of the other ones. Um, but I, you know, I tried different things that they would say and suggestions and stuff, and some would work, some things would work, and, and a lot of things wouldn't. I wouldn't get much of a, much of a bump in, in anything. And, and so this stuff... Again, I'm in front of tens of thousands of coaches. So I have tens of thousands of coaches. Probably thousands of those coaches are engaging on a on a weekly basis when I send out my blog post, and they're getting the same, if not better, results with their hitters that I am with mine. So, you know, people come in and they don't know me from Adam, and they and they just start talking about how this is bunk and this doesn't work and blah blah blah. They don't understand how many coaches. This stuff is reteachable to other coaches, whether you're talking Little League, somebody maybe didn't play beyond Little League themselves, are able to take the same principles as long as they stay between the bumpers at the bowling alley, they stay between the bumpers, and their hitter's just like one, I think one responder's on, or one commenter follower on Facebook said, uh, somebody asked a question about, does this stuff really work? And then somebody goes, just have them show their numbers, just have your kids show their numbers to land in, and he goes, it works like magic. You know, unsolicited on what they're on what they're saying, what they're what they're sharing. I didn't I didn't ask that. Somebody asked a question, somebody else responded, and just like magic, exactly. Uh, although it's not magic, it's science, but it just seems hitters respond pretty quickly. Uh, a good example, just recently, I was working with a, a high school alum from my same high school, but he's he's much younger than I am, and we were working the other day, and we improved his ball exit speeds. From 75, so we were hitting off the backspin tee with the wood bat, and from 75 miles an hour all the way up to 85 miles an hour in an hour, in one hour. And the things that we did were we started with finger pressure. We bottomed out his pelvic floor just by basically tucking the tailbone between the legs. We got him showing his numbers at landing, and then we did some over overload and underload training with the bat. So super heavy bat, super light bat, and then we used, their, used his bat. So after an hour, we improved his ball exit speed by 10 miles an hour, and that equates to an extra 40 feet of distance. Oh, wow. So for him, and he's a he's a pro guy. He, got, he just got uh, he's a free agent this year in like the the single A, you know, short A, long A uh, arena. And um, so I mean, improving him. So and that, again, that's off the team. Before that, he had registered 87 was his high on on live short toss in front of him. So this was off the tee, off a of backspin tee, which a backspin tee actually dampens ball exit speeds by 
at what I find about two to three miles an hour. So, you know, off a regular tee, he's going to get an extra two to three on that. So he'll actually beat, you know, 85 is what he ended up the backspin tee. You know, he's looking at 87 to 88, possibly beating what he originally did with a live pitch. So this is how, this is how kind of quote unquote magic this stuff works. Sounds amazing. Uh, that's great that you're uh, helping people with, uh, you know, their swings, uh, getting more people involved in baseball and just uh, in general. That's that's amazing. Uh, if people wanting to follow more about, uh, you know, your your teachings, your philosophies, uh, your way of doing uh, the procedures, uh, what social media, what internet would you recommend? So I'd recommend going to hittingperformancelab.com. And there's a lot of information there. Uh, whether you're going there from your phone or your your computer, uh, I, I have a few posts there, like four of my top posts that you can go into. But if you're looking for specific things like where should I start, I would say if if not those two, those four initial posts that show up when you log on, is go to the topics tab and into the swing experiments. I always advise people that have really not come into contact with my stuff to go there. That's a good that's a good start because it kind of gets you thinking. And uh, we destroy quite a bit of the, the old hitting myth there. You can go and find me on Facebook. Just put Hitting Performance Lab in, and I should come up. Twitter, I think my Twitter handle is at Hit Perform Lab. On what else? LinkedIn, you can just search for Joey Myers, and I should come up. And YouTube, Hitting Perform Lab, I think, or you can just type in Hitting Performance Lab, and my, my channel will come up. Um, so that's, that's basically where you can find me. Uh, I mostly respond. Uh, I don't, hitting questions and things like that, I don't respond too quick because I'm pretty busy, but if it has to deal with the product or course or book or whatever, I respond generally within within, within 24 uh, to 48 hours. Um, that's where you can find me online. Excellent. Any uh, final thoughts before uh, we let you go? Last thought I would say is I would love it if like an ask from the audience if a lot of hitting instructors are out there. I just wish that more instructors, if they're online or whatnot, would share more information. I'm an open book. I give everything, whether it's good or bad, whether you agree or disagree, I give it, I give everything. I don't keep anything as a secret sauce. I throw it all out there and anybody can read it. And one of the biggest problems I find are a lot of experts out there, so-called experts, trying to keep things secret and they think that giving it away is going to hurt their business and it's actually done the opposite for me and just being being more generous with your information generous with sharing what's working what's not working and I think that's how we're going to move this industry forward otherwise it's going to stall and it's going to take uh, maybe another decade for everything to kind of change around although it's changing now but I think more coaches need to share 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 be generous with your information be generous with what's working and what's not working. So that's that's probably my, my main ask. Well, I'd like to thank our guest, uh, Joey Myers, the author, for uh, coming on our show today. Thank you, James. Thank you for the time, and, and it's a pleasure uh, sharing information with you. Welcome. We hope to follow back up with you down the road when you have uh, your next book come out. You can count on me. Excellent.